sleepy time mode. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the worst one. <laughs> it's going perfectly. <laughs> Welcome to our <laughs> to Jen and the Film Critic After Dark. <laughs> That's usually sexy, but not yeah, now. Yeah, after bedtime. We're, yeah, after bedtime. We're very tired. We're, we're, we're all excited. <laughs> you because you've watched 12 films within 48 hours and me because hey, hey. I'm human. Oh, well, anyway, let me say the name of this podcast. Hey, hey, you're listening to Jen and the Film Critic. My name is Jen and this is Paul Salt. My Sundance film critic. Yes. Hello. I am the Sundance. You are the yes. Sundance boy. The Dance Sundance for me. kid. Dance the Sundance. <laughs> so yes, the Sundance Film Festival is a big festival they have in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of January, which is the worst place and time to do anything. Um, I love the place of January. <laughs> and they're yeah, they 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 hold it every year, and it's a lot of it's a big independent film festival, and then. It just in order so that human beings can see it, not just industry insiders. They a bunch of coyotes. A bunch of, a bunch <laughs> of coyotes and whatever else is in Salt Lake City. They, um, Mormons. Somewhere near that. Yeah, Mormons. Um, so that non-Mormons can see it. So they, <laughs> yeah. they all hate it. They all hate the experience. Mm. Um, they bring uh, 15, I think, films uh, to the UK to show in Sundance London. And 12 of those were shown to critics mm. over the past uh, two days. Um, so yes, I have spent exactly 24 of the past 48 hours in a cinema, in screen three of the Picture House Central, where the festival is being held. Wow. Um, yeah, a little delirious. Um, <laughs> the other day, on the first day afterwards, um, my flatmate Jack was saying, oh, it was a nice day today. And I genuinely didn't know that. <laughs> I was just like, I, that is indifferent. I'm indifferent to that fact. Yeah, it does irrelevant <laughs> to my life right now. I'm sitting in the <laughs> to my lifestyle, mm. my mole-like lifestyle. <laughs> um, yes, watching that many movies in a row is challenging. It's fun. The movies were really good. This is a very strong lineup, um, but the sheer number of worlds I've inhabited <laughs> in the last forty-eight hours. Every screening started with a little. Um, like teaser trailer they've made for the festival and it had festival highlights and the first one they showed was the first movie they showed us um yesterday morning at nine mm. um and so every single movie i would get a little reminder of how long it feels like it's been since the first film <laughs> remember because... when you watched this Doesn't it feel like a <laughs> lifetime ago it wasn't was that this festival <laughs> this year <laughs> this decade god so yeah 9 a.m they showed the first one which is mm. earlier than I like to do anything. And then, yeah, mm. today I got out at half past ten. Um, yeah. And for the record, we're recording at 11pm UK time Yay. on the Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally sat in the cinema an hour ago. Wow, okay. Yeah, so Wonderful. this is hot off the press. And by hot, press, hot, I mean hot. my butt into a seat, because that's mm. what it's been doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh, I'm excited because I haven't watched any films. That's a lie. I was watching <laughs> Paddington 2 right before this. Okay. Well, we should probably talk about Paddington 2 for a while. How'd you find yeah. that? Oh, it's a fun film. It's not the first it's time I've seen film. it. It's a very good yeah, film. It's great. Hugh Grant's yeah. so good. Yeah. 
But anyway, okay. let's talk about Sundance, the real star let's of the show today. Let's talk about Sundance and the new Paddington 2. Is, um, <laughs> Critics we'll are calling with... it the new Paddington 2. <laughs> we'll start with Brian and Charles, which is... A, uh, by the way, I'm going to go through this in the order in which uh, they screened it to us. Okay. Uh, partly just so that I can follow it through in some kind of way in my broken brain. Sure. Um, but also, so don't leave the first time I cover like a really obscure documentary uh, audience. Um, <laughs> okay. Because there's like really high profile stuff right up to the end. So cool. stick around and don't assume I've run out of good ones. <laughs> uh, so, yes, we start with Jim Archer's comedy film, uh, Brian and Charles. Okay. Uh, this is David Earle, who's a bit of a familiar face to the British uh, stand up scene and sort of comedy scene in general. Um, and he plays a, a loner living up in the Welsh mountains who is uh, living a bit of a depressed lifestyle. He's completely isolated. He makes awkward small talk with a girl in the village and um, uh, also has a bit of a bully problem in this uh, mm. sort of horrible family. So, yeah, he's living a bit of a quiet lifestyle when suddenly he decides and he's an he's an inventor. He invents things that don't really work. Okay. And he decides that he's going to make himself a friend. He's going to make a robot. Uh, it might be helpful at this stage if I show you the robot that he makes. Please do. It, here he is. So that's Charles. And um, oh wow, and he's a, yeah, yeah he's, I can. A, he's a horrific mannequin head with wow. glasses, grey hair. Um, that's then placed on top of a washing machine that he's put a suit on. <laughs> and and yeah, the, the the twist is that this is his first invention that actually works, and Charles comes to life. Mm. and is animate in the film and talks with a sort of uh, male Siri ver- uh, voice that is actually mm. voiced by the uh, the co-writer. So David Earl uh, wrote this movie with the actor playing Charles, Chris Hayward. And yeah, it's just a sort of really sweet sort of buddy comedy. It's very affecting. A story about a, you know, a lonely and imaginative man. Um, yeah, it's driven by the really genuinely moving performance um, of uh, David Earl as Brian. And there's a very funny characterization of Charles as this robot. It really <laughs> works very well. It's just this very naive but good-natured robot um, that okay. speaks in this incredibly dry um, tone. It's yeah, it's very very good physicality from uh, from him. Um, it works in a sort of conventional kind of way of man invents robot friend. Obviously, he tries to hide robot friend. There's sequences of him getting to know robot friend, of robot friend mm-hmm. learning. Then he oh. encounters, you know, the local town ruffians and, you know, drama is afoot and there's going to have to be a big high stakes, you know, saving at the end. You know, it's like a low budget Welsh chappy. <laughs> and consequently the the villains in the drama might be a little bit trite but you just can't deny how effectively it's working it's just really sweet um my only real niggle with it in fact is the fact that the movie starts in this uh office style mock documentary f- uh format where brian is talking to the camera um and there's like a documentary crew following mm. him now i get why they've done this they've done this because that it, it allows this character who's completely on his own to sort of talk and express himself but i don't know i i just i find it raises too many questions with me i'm not willing to take that format for granted i want to know who are these guys and why are they filming this guy how involved are they you know he occasionally refers to them or like yells at them to get out of the way why aren't you know they getting involved like why did this project start and it's just like you could have done this with him writing a letter for example to perhaps you know to no one perhaps or um just narration just have him narrate the beginning of the story because 
the mockumentary thing doesn't get resolved at the end or come back, so just have him narrate the beginning part and then not later. It's fine. It's just... Yeah. I don't know. Gosh. That that frustrated me a little. Um, but nevertheless, it's it, it's a really sweet story. It gives a beautiful impression of Wales and the sort of little village mm. that it's, uh, it's, it's um, set in. And it's just a story about, I guess, parenthood and the idea of finding wonder in unlikely places. And that's very, cool. very sweet. So I'm going to give it four stars just for, you know, just because of the couple of faults in there, but I really did enjoy enjoy this one. Lovely, that sounds excellent. Yeah. I yeah. um, I think you're really gonna think like that. Sounds one. great. Yeah, British comedy <laughs> set in Wales. I can I can sort of feel the vibe of it yeah. already. I think. Yeah, yeah. It I was like it was yeah, very good sort of character based, slightly awkward mm. comedy um, that was still very affecting. <laughs> Interesting. Great. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's, I've already yeah. got one to watch. Already got one to watch. It's got to, yeah. I've got to give fair warning. This was a very good lineup that they've mm-hmm. organised. Um, a couple of unusual risks, as you'd kind of hope for. So you know, a couple that aren't as good, but generally, this was a very good lineup, and that extends into my next one, which I think is my favourite of the whole bunch. Ooh. Uh, this is "Good Luck to You, Leo Grande." Okay. Written by Katie Brand, who's well known to uh, British TV watchers. She's been around. Um, directed uh, sorry, by Sophie remind Hyde. me who she is. You would so know her if you saw her. She's got a um, I would face so know her. Face. You would so know her. Okay, her first <laughs> credit on IMDb is Nanny McPhee. That doesn't help me too much. I have uh, seen that. You know what? You keep talking. I'll Google a picture of her. You Google her. and Audience, you can do the same. <laughs> yes, please do. Um, yes, so this is the story of a 55-year-old woman who has just come out of a marriage um, as a widower. The marriage was unfulfilling, um, sexually speaking, and emotionally speaking, really, and hoping to, I don't know, just see what all the fuss is about. Mm. She decides to hire a sex worker. To, oh, um, okay. Yeah, to pleasure cool. her. Uh, so it's Emma Thompson as the widower and with Darryl McCorm- McCormack as the uh, sex worker, um, whose name is, yeah, Leo Grande is the character's name. And it's just about them meeting up. They have several meetings and it's the story is sort of broken into these meetings in a hotel room. And it's about him trying to pull down the barriers that she has placed up around mm. herself and her own uh, sensuality. You know, her various feelings of guilt or of just kind of trauma that she has experienced as a result of the thoroughly ordinary life that she has lived. It has mm. like a traumatic effect on her that needs to be kind of worked through. And she's got this incredibly patient man you know it's leo grande it's just this really patient guy who's just gonna take an interest in her and you know he's there you know having been paid but he's really good at his job so yeah he just kind of helps her through this various things to the point where she's willing to have sex with this incredibly young hot guy (laughs) so it's a very sex positive story about rediscovering or just discovering passion Mm. at whatever age you happen to do it and it's very honest about sex work there's conversations in there about the risks but also like the benefits of it various conversations mm. about and it, it can come across a bit polemic at times when okay. you know they're sort of discussing how it should be like a a, a, a national service available to everyone <laughs> <laughs> and you know she's you know talking about all the benefits this has had for her and her confidence it's unashamedly pro legalization which is quite fun and really cool. it's, it's Good. fun the way it sort of looks Why not? absolutely well, it absolutely yeah. i've had it, enough of all the other options <laughs> <laughs> and please it, yeah it just looks at you know how we would just make things safer and you know all the rest of it and great yeah 
Yeah, and it can sometimes feel a bit like a play because we're entirely in this hotel room for the most part. Okay. Um, and it's very dialogue and, draw- and uh, uh, performance driven. Um, and there's always these little contrivances to return the action to the room. Like a character will storm out, but oh, they forgot their phones. So here they are sure, back for another sure, little sure. bit. And it's, you know, sometimes the monologues are showing as well a mm. little bit. Um, nevertheless, it's still quite cinematic. There's some very interesting little ca- uh, camera moments and some good framing and the energy of the whole piece and the intimacy of the camera and slight awkwardness that sometimes we, you know, transition into handheld or, mm. you know, get even close. It still makes it a really engaging film to watch. Uh, which is all down to Sophie Hyde's direction there. And very sensitive directions because the erotic elements are withheld from us until they feel like they've been earned. And then once they have been earned, it's an extremely body positive uh, portrayal of this whole thing, including, um, yeah, I think Emma Thompson revealed in an interview, this is like her first nude scenes. And certainly the, you know, very gratuitous nude scenes that she's done. And she's doing this, you know, at, at her age. And it's, yeah, it's just very good. It's just a wonderful story about essentially learning how to, be open with yourself and learn to sort of love yourself in various ways. And it's, you know, just this really great unglamorized look at Mm. how human connection can be sort of gained in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. That sounds good. I really enjoyed that one. It's five stars. Excellent. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. It sounds like I'd Mm. love it. Mm. I love anything that, you know, sounds like it's just going to be that positive about. Yeah. Oh, and incredibly funny. Oh, also incredibly wonderful. funny. Even better. You know, she shows up with just like a list of things that she wants to try, you know, including a blowjob and doggy style and just wants to work through the list. She's a former teacher, so she has this okay. very methodical approach That's to the whole fun. thing of stuff that she just wants to do in order to, you know, yeah. and at various points talking about how she just wants to get the sex out of the way because she feels she'll <laughs> enjoy it better once it's over. And yeah, yeah it's, it's all very sweet. But she herself yeah. is a bit of a contra... Uh, a tricky character because she's also quite mean about mm. various things. She's quite mean about her kids and, you know, the kids she's taught. She can be quite cutting in her remarks, but mm. ultimately, you know, it is moving in a very positive place for her as in, you know, her growth as a person. Nice. Yeah. No. Oh. Yeah, that sounds yeah. wonderful. I definitely want to watch this one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think as soon as it's out, which is soon, actually. That one, I think, oh, is only okay. a couple of weeks away. So, I mean, yeah, we should definitely all go see that. You too, listeners. <laughs> Um, right. Next up is a documentary. Okay. Free, Free Chosu Lee. Mm. I hope that's uh, correct. That's Korean. Mm. The Chol is the bit I'm not too sure about, but nevertheless. Uh, I can't, I can't help you on that, I'm afraid. That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, I, I have a friend who speaks some Korean. I can call her up. We can pause yeah, this if you get, right yeah, if now. You, we've got all the time in the world if you get her on call. the phone. <laughs> By the way, one of the films coming up later uh, features a large amount of Romanian. Okay. Um, it's interesting. The word for light was something like lumina. Yeah. It's um, that... it's a romance language, so it's yeah. Latin-based as well. Right. And so it's like Italian or Spanish or French or, you know, Except they're all that's related sounded, to each other. Yeah. So water was also something really relatable. I can't remember what it was now. Aqua, like... agua. Uh, yeah, oh, agua. Yeah, something... something like that. Yeah. Um, I so thought Romanian all... would be more Slavic. I don't nope. know why. It's just location. I think uh, a lot of people think that just because it's over that side of yeah. it's, you know it's over on the east. But no, it's a it's a yeah. Romance language, so it's related to if you the first time I've um, I um, had a really excellent professor at, on my master's mm. translation course. He was Romanian, and his wife mm. who ran the inter the 
subtitling part of the course, which I didn't do. Uh-huh. She was Romanian as well. And I once heard them speaking to each other. And I think it was the first time I properly heard Romanian speak spoken. Right. And yeah. I remember just sitting there being like, what? <laughs> 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 huh? Huh? I understood that, but not this. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a big surprise. <laughs> yeah. I, d- I knew it was me. a romance one, but like just sitting there and being yeah. like, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. Oh, no, didn't get that. Not at all, not yeah. at all. Oh, that sounded like French. Love that. Great, yeah, no, so there you go. There you go. So fun fact. That's Jen's a fun language fact. corner. Love that corner. That should be the podcast, and then my movie reviews will be put into a corner in it. Mm, thank you. Anyway, that is film 11. Let's talk about film 3. Great. Um, <laughs> Free Chol Su Lee. Now, mm. this is about a Korean man who, in the 1960s in San Francisco, whilst being one of the very few Korean people... Um, in that neighborhood of largely Chinese American uh, people is framed for a murder. Basically, he had a gun. um, There was a police incident and it was convenience. Um, Mm. He accidentally fired the gun in his apartment. So a couple of days later when a guy was killed, they thought, well, we don't want this to last. We'll just pin it on whoever. And this guy has a gun-related crime, so we'll just pin it to him. He gets arrested, goes to jail. There is then a grassroots movement to try and save this guy. Um which is complicated by the fact that his conduct in prison is um, he's required to um, defend himself whilst in there, which makes it trickier to Mm. argue for his innocence. Um, And then, yeah, things just go from there. And it's all about how the prison system basically, because he's in there for 10 years, it's basically just about how the prison system kind of created the criminal they wanted. Mm. in the end and this movement to try and free him was this really positive thing but ultimately you know he was kind of the damage was done and it led to a very complicated relationship between him and the movement so it really races through the case because there's just so much to cover and you start i'm watching it thinking wow okay he's already in prison you know we've been here for like 10 minutes but there's so much to cover about him being a symbol for this community for the korean american community and the cost of that image both on you know him and for the movement and Mm. it was really pertinent actually because of recent events um in various places in, in america in particular of trials having to take on greater meaning and being more about the individuals involved in them and more about general sort of communities who are you know in danger and how harmful that can be to everyone when they don't go the way that you hope um and the impact that can have on the person so yeah it's it's interesting and because he is living this really imperfect life, but he is living that imperfect life and it is allocated to, or made res- the things responsible for his imperfect life is the system, is the trauma of prison and of his early life, all of which are explored in a great deal of detail. It still plays into the idealized narrative of him being, you know, a victim and, you know, a, a basic hero who, mm. you know, all of this was sort of taken from him, which, yes, absolutely, that's a perfectly fine narrative. You know, but he seems to have been a slightly more complicated figure than that. Yeah. Nevertheless, um, it was definitely, it was really interesting as a story. I hadn't heard of this before. And this is uh, directed by Julie mm. Ha and Eugene Yi. And the amount of material, the wealth of material they get their hands on is quite incredible. Interviews with all of the players, um, you know, the surviving players and just incredible footage of this movement. It was, yeah, it was a really interesting story because it's not something I'd heard of before. And is obviously very pertinent considering the continued misuse of police power and, you know, Absolutely. every country, it seems. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's something universally relevant here. Um, yeah, I'll give it four stars. I think it was a very okay. interesting story and, uh, yeah, worth hearing. Interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah, I I I would be interested in seeing it. Um Yeah. Sounds like a yeah, an interesting but perhaps slightly heavier watch. Mm. But um Yeah, it was fairly heavy, but yeah, it was That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely a big, I've, big subject. Yeah. I listen to plenty of podcasts, you know, I listen to serial. Mm. Um Oh yeah. These, you know, I think it's important to look at things that examine yeah. these systems critically yeah and, and how they're a... actually having the opposite impact a lot of the yes. time to what they're supposed to be doing absolutely you know, how they all sort of create that. criminals as mm. well i think that's really interesting to see how yeah. yeah prison just converts people into exactly what they've been put in there for because we're, we're focusing too much on satisfying the yeah. public need for punishment vengeance. yeah and vengeance rather than thinking what would actually rehabilitate know, rehabilitate what would actually serve us all and serve yeah. victims um absolutely yeah. interesting very very interesting i hadn't heard yeah. of this case either but uh, that no. doesn't surprise me i don't hear of much there <laughs> but <laughs> well this still. is quite an obscure one i think but mm. yeah definitely okay. a very right. pertinent one especially for the sort of racial aspect because it, mm. it turns out that like dozens of chinese american people saw the murder but only the white people were interviewed about it mm-hmm. and they were three out of town guys who just Jeez. basically couldn't tell one asian american person from another not even a korean a korean asian person uh, american person from a chinese american so wow you know it was just yeah. absolute farce and it was very there's a great community guy in it i can't remember his name now but he's the detective who took on his case and it's really good at demonstrating just how many people were involved and they also apparently a movie was made of this case with james woods as the white lawyer who got the chinese man off (laughs) and it sort of turned his community into like a prop um you know and and they were just talking about how insulting that film was so you know particularly since james woods is just the worst human being so it was very good to see that you know he's he's pretty bad um yeah (laughs) my only my only knowledge of james woods nowadays is all i can think of is the simpsons is it family oh yes of course the simpsons yes yes they reference him don't they and i never they do he's in the episode he's in a very good episode when apu gets fired Uh, Mm. anyway off topic next film off topic Next film, Hatchling. This Hatchling. is right up my street. You're not oh, going to enjoy is it. Is it horror? You it's, can tell yeah. from the title that it's horror. I bet if you gave me all of the titles, I could tell you which ones were horror. We're going to do that. Um, is one? Is there another one that's the something, like there The Garden? Or... There are two more horrors. <laughs> it so could be anything. We'll the whatever. It's probably a yeah. horror. We'll see. We've got two more horrors coming up, so we'll see if you can pick them okay, out before okay, I okay. tell you what they are. But Hatchling is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. And this is So we start with just an obscenely, abhorrently idealistic Finnish family. Um, Perfect. Everyone's just grinning and gurning and everybody tickles each other. <laughs> and the mother is running this horrible blog about how it's called perfect something like beautiful is. every day uh, or something. And it's just, yeah, about how perfect their idealistic life is. Uh, a bird flies in through a window and smashes some of their beautiful possessions, at which point the Ooh. mother grabs the bird and kills it and asks Ooh. the daughter, um, whose name is, uh, oh God, T I. N J A and I think it's Tinya. It's pronounced something like yeah. Tinya. I'll go with Tinya for for. A I made that up. Now. I don't. don't yeah. I don't know why you trust me. I, I've, I've I got because well, I've got nothing. <laughs> I saw the movie and I can't remember. But anyway, yes, the daughter is charged with um with taking the dead bird out to the trash. And whilst there, she notices that there is an egg that this you know dead bird is now mm. no longer able to care for. She brings the egg into her bedroom, starts to keep it warm. It gets quite big. Uh-huh. The egg, it gets very big, as big as she is, until one night it hatches. <laughs> I don't like this. 
and she must spend the rest of the movie caring for the hatchling. Um, So, yeah, the movie is about a truly horrific monster um, and her daughter's attempt to bring up a weird bird monster. It's it's really affecting the performance of Sophia, ooh, Heikela, perhaps? Probably not. Um, as the as the mother, she's just this um, really unbearable um, sort mm. of um, helicopter mother who's just yeah she's really pressuring her daughter with her studies as a gymnast. Mm. Um, but she is also, in spite of portraying this ultimate idealistic lifestyle, she is also herself um, unfaithful uh, okay. to the um, the husband who's a bit of a non entity. She's cheating on him with the handyman, which is a, you know a bit of a cliche, but it's you mm. know it's good it's good fun. It has that sort of where dark else are you meant to find a guy? <laughs> well, where else are the big burly men going to come from? The burly man incidentally is a very nice character and a very good person. Oh. So, in caring for the murderous little hatchling, metaphors abound. You know, mm. is it puberty, like turning red? Only instead of a big red panda, it's a terrifying bird monster that kills people. Maybe. Um, is it a mental health issue caused by this tremendous pressure to be perfect um, mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, made it so that she can no longer conform to this idealized version of herself that the mother expects her to be? Or, you know, could it be just teen pregnancy? Is this, you know, just a mm. metaphor for that? Um, maybe the the inciting incident would be more overtly sexual if that was the case. But nevertheless, there's still just the daughter is unable to conform to her mother's expectations anymore. And that is causing disastrous results um mm. but what all that matters is the impact on the girl and it has to be said that the the performance of oh god siri solalina i'm gonna say cool. um is just absolutely superb she's asked to do so much how old is she i wonder if imdb is smart enough to tell me it's not but this is her only acting credit but she is early teens i would estimate okay. and she's as the movie goes on she is asked to do an awful lot um yeah, there's a lot expected of her, and she is just fantastic. She's cool. really compelling, really interesting, occasionally sort of darkly comic, um, very intense. Um, she's really superb. Um, and yeah, it's just all about her experience of all of this, and that is always completely compelling. And it has this wonderful aesthetic and this really creepy kind of vibe throughout the whole mm. thing. Um, it has a bit of a greener grass kind of feel to some of the family moments, but when it goes horror, it's definitely a sort of let the right one in style Nordic okay. chill that sort of sets in. Um, yeah, it's pretty Blair and it's pretty Blech. great. It's um, Hannah Bergholm directing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she just does a really great job of telling this story, this really accessible story of just a girl looking after a bird monster <laughs> in such a way that really My mum doesn't itself. want me to. <laughs> oh. I want to look after my bird monster, mum. I don't care what you do. Just come down for dinner. And then she she sheds a single tear because she remembers saying that to her mother. You mm. see, oh. well, yeah, look, You're, I understand we've all wanted I, to look after a bird monster at one point I or understand. another, but he's not You're right for you. You're my bird monster. Ah, <laughs> oh, metaphor. Thanks, mum. Metaphor. I understand love what... now. <laughs> the whole thing is about learning to understand love. And... You know, learning to embrace imperfection as well. Mm. So it has moments that are just purely black swan, you know, just moments that are just, yeah, really, it's a really engaging sort of teen drama, coming of age story, if you like, uh, with some really great practical gore effects. Great. (laughs) Really very good. And the bird monster is very well realized. So, yeah, there's a Mm. lot to recommend for it, I think. Um, And yeah, Hatchling, I'm going to give all five of those stars. (gasps) All five? I love this sort of thing. This is right up my street. Of course it is, you weirdo. 
little nasty uh, boy. <laughs> little nasty boy. Um, I'm not going to watch this. You know that. Yeah, that's fair. I know, I know that. that. I we knew that. that. We all knew it together. And um, what a journey it's been. Yeah. But I am I am going to probably look up a picture of the bird monster and maybe I would read the plot synopsis. Yeah, mm. do so because it gets pretty wild. Yeah. Oh, well, then I definitely am. That's how I consume horror. Yeah. In the daytime yeah. and not watching it. Yeah. Well, mm. speaking of very good lifestyle choices, one that we can all hope to emulate is the life of um, Katya and Maurice Kraft, uh, mm. depicted here in the documentary Fire of Love. Mm. This is a story about two absolute lunatics. They are volcanologists. <laughs> they're real. They're real people, real French cool. uh, volcanologists who worked for, a th- I think, about 30 years from the 60s through to the 90s. And they did basically all of their lives. They just got way too close to volcanoes. That was their whole job is they got way, way too close to volcanoes and filmed it and filmed all of this footage of them just standing next to lava flows and, you know, very near erupting volcanoes. And right at the beginning of the movie, they say, you know, this is the last known footage of them. you know wow and they are going to die in a volcano explosion at some point during this movie (laughs) and it's just building up to that and showing their personalities um their work and yeah just what it is that led them to this lifestyle and it's it's fascinating it's the first thing to say is my god the footage is incredible it's (laughs) It really, just the amount of footage of these volcanoes, these terrifying natural things that, uh, forces of nature that they were completely Mm. comfortable around. Far too much so, it turns out. (laughs) Um, But they they classify two kinds of volcano, red volcanoes, gray volcanoes. Red volcanoes happen when the earth separates and lava seeps up from beneath. Um, Sure. Yeah, when the the tectonic plates separate and the lava flows up. That causes these big glowing red volcanoes. And so far as they're concerned, these are safe volcanoes because the lava follows <laughs> sure canals. That, but sure. <laughs> the lava follows canals. So okay. you just have to. Uh, it, he says, you know, it's as safe as just walking by a busy street. Just don't go okay. near the street. I, okay, um, I get what you mean. But still. There are still lava. bits you could fall <laughs> into and die instantly. And mm-hmm. they still talk in these surprisingly earnest terms about. You know, I like to walk behind him because that way if he goes in, I can just go in after him. You know, and it's just oh, wow. this amazing sort of mindset. Um, and then there's grey volcanoes, huh. which is where the tectonic plates move towards each other. And that causes enormous amounts of pressure, which eventually bursts. And a giant okay. pyroclastic flow, I think, of, of like mm. cloud flies over the horizon and just mm. basically burns and takes out everything and, you know, massive disasters. So uh, like the killer what we volcanoes. think of as like a normal volcano is, is I think that, are they all? You, oh gosh, I don't know why we're getting into the science. I don't know why I expect you to know that just because you watch one documentary. No, uh, I think uh, if you think volcano, the nineties movie with Tommy Lee Jones, that's a red going volcano. To ask. Okay, and Dante's right. Peak with the flying mm-hmm. cloud is a grey volcano. Okay, thank you. I was yeah. I was going <laughs> to ask which one was in Dante's Peak. <laughs> That's my reference point for volcanoes. That's fine. That's everybody's reference. That's were. everyone who was alive in the 90s reference point for... Um, that movie had Linda Hamilton in it. Um, it was it Pierce Brosnan in that Yes, one? it was. Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. Um, Back in his I remember the I remember the first kill in that. It's like it's like a slasher movie because there's like a nude yeah. couple go for a bath together and then the water gets too hot and they die. Oh, and it's, I can't yeah. remember that. I just remember really Friday the 13th-esque like, footage yeah. of this couple taking it's a bath. But... If you think about it, it really is a bit of a slasher. But it's a slasher movie a but with a volcano. It's very yeah. good. 
Um, but so is this because <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. What it really focuses in on is the personality of Katya Kraft and Maurice mm. Kraft. And I actually heard one of my fellow critics when they were leaving the screening say, um, well, I just didn't know much about their research as a result of the film. It didn't really talk about why it was important. And it's like, no, it didn't, because it's far more interested mm. in these personalities. And, uh, oh, this is something I wanted to find out in advance, because the movie did remind me of a Herzog film. Ah. Let me just find out the Herzog film with the volcano. This is a volcano. That's the one. It is very sad. And satisfied okay. must cry the lava. Dang it, he made a film in 2016 called Into the Inferno, and that's not the one. Mm. Although it looks like it's about a similar thing. <laughs> Dang it, what's the old one? He did one in the 70s, 19... 19- old Into the Volcano. Yeah, Into the old, old Volcano. Into the Old Volcano, 1970. Come on. Fine. Don't tell me. Maybe if, if it's I see whichever film, Werner Herzog film you want it to be, audience. Yeah. Is it Just think of your favorite Werner Herzog film that you've watched. <laughs> I know I'm thinking of mine. Was it Fatal Morgana? No, that was the one in Africa. All right, fine. I'm not going to be able to find this out. I've seen no. it. It's the annoying thing. And I know not... you know it. I know. I know this is going to keep you up all night. I know. He nearly got killed by a volcano. Ah. Well, so Werner Herzog during a filming of a documentary yeah, almost he... got killed by a volcano. Yeah, he didn't get off on well. time. <laughs> well, yeah. Wait. Well, he did because he survived, but well, yeah, he, he, <laughs> he, survived. Al- he almost didn't. <laughs> oh, is that it? La Soufrière. Soufrière. Could be. Uh, it's a 1977 documentary film in which German director Werner Herzog visits an island which is on a volcano is predicted to erupt. Yes. Okay. Sounds about so, right. <laughs> Unless he's done sounds... that twice. <laughs> He might have done that a couple of times, but yes, so he's he's done that, but it also had the feel of his movie Encounters at the End of the Earth, where he's not so much interested in why these people have gone to the middle of nowhere in the North Pole um, in order to be alone. He's more interested in the personality of them sure, and what it is that drives them and what What makes a person do that. Exactly. It doesn't matter what their research topic is. Nah. Why are you Read here? about that whenever. <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, and the movie does a fair job of sort of demonstrating their passion for volcanoes, their tremendous thrill to go near it and it's mm. it's very obvious that it basically becomes about thrill hunting um okay. because they start talking about how whenever they're not you know on a volcano they mm. just find ordinary life completely boring because things mm. aren't exploding all around them and there's all these stories about yeah. how they would be on this island of an active volcano sort of spewing out uh lava bombs and only one of them would be able to sleep at a time because if a lava bomb came and it was night, you could see the the arc of the trajectory. And if it was going to land near them, the wake one would pull the sleeping one out of the way. Wow. <laughs> okay. And it's just these wonderful personalities because you've got a very differing thing here. Katya Kraft is this tiny, tiny woman who reminds me of like Mia Farrow. And, mm. you know, just very bold, very intelligent. She's definitely the smarter of the two and the more organized. Um and then her husband, Maurice, is this big bear of a guy. And he's just, they're, they're so different from each other. And yet they're both united by this tremendous passion. And they talk very earnestly about the sort of love they have for each other. Um, oh. And it's just this incredible footage you have. Very candid footage of them sort of together. And yeah, it's just about, it's about them and it's their relationship with the earth, with the earth that we all share. And the idea of living a very short and intense life, which they are both quite comfortable with. Um, mm. His his big desire is that he wants to ride a boat down a lava flow. 
okay he, you know he wants to do that and he believes he can wow. and he tests this in a lake some sort of huge natural reserve of acid a giant lake of acid and there's just uh-huh. like pictures of like birds that have been melted to the bone on the side of this huge lake of acid somewhere and he points out that his wife who is a chemist does not want to do this but he who is not a chemist does <laughs> so it's like he's acknowledging <laughs> the only reason he wants to do this is because he doesn't understand it properly yeah and at some right. earlier incident he like burned all the skin off of his leg he's just just absolutely crazy people doing this stuff and it's it could be it could be a little morbid but it really does feel like a celebration of these two and mm-hmm. yeah just a sort of investigation into into what it is that makes somebody like this and you've got miranda mm-hmm. july who's narrating the whole thing and she is doing a fairly herzogian style delivery mm-hmm. as she's narrating all of this with um, a german accent with the occasional with a german accent and mm-hmm. she's got you know the occasional sort of poetic phrase in there to sort of really bring it alive so nice yeah it's sarah dosa is the director and it was just it was just a lot of fun yeah, it sounds very interesting. It was very, very interesting. And just, mm. if you like volcanoes, because volcanoes wow. are cool, yeah. um, I highly recommend it. Great. Yeah. How many stars? That one, I'm only going to give it four, but that's only because I'm grading on a curve here. And I need sure. to, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not that's as fair. good no, as I some think of the other. four's still very solid. Four is very solid. I, there's nothing I can really Particularly for it. a documentary. I find yeah. a five-star documentary really has to be like oh, lowering God, your to, socks off. It has to be changing your life. And that's what yeah. you've got to keep four star, five stars back for. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Great. Yeah. No, I would watch this for sure. Why right. not? They sound like <laughs> fascinating people. They really and were. Would, and they feel in many ways so, so the opposite of me. But yeah, yet, I, I want <laughs> to be a little bit more like that. But maybe not completely that oh i've got the <laughs> model wild, for, but, i've got the yeah. model for the life i want to live coming out later and it's much the okay. opposite <laughs> <laughs> no part of me is always like i wish i was that cool to just be like i love volcanoes i'm gonna chase yeah. them around the world yeah but i gonna... do imagine that leads to uh it's a tricky lifestyle yeah it's the whole <laughs> i'm gonna live free and die hard dang you know, cool and, though yeah die die young and awesome and it's yeah it's i did not, watch point break recently that's true. There is Point Break, mm. but if you do that kind of lifestyle, you don't get to watch Point Break as many times. No, but you get to be Point Break. <laughs> no one gets to be Point Break, not unless your soul is as beautiful as Kate as Canoe. No, no one is. No one is. Keanu. Keanu. Uh, speaking of Keanu, um, next up we've <laughs> yeah. got Sharpstick. No, not at all. No. Okay, um, great. So this is Lena Dunham's uh, new movie. Okay. And Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham. Sorry, Lena Dunham of girls. Of girls. Yes. Of girls. Uh, of girls. Yes. And <laughs> Not the gender, movies... but I mean the TV show. <laughs> of girls that she is. Yes, and also having written movies that I haven't seen. To be honest, things like where is it? Where was the big one that I recognised? Oh sure, just don't. Oh, this is forty kind of thing. You know. Um, okay. Movies I know. I... I don't think I've seen it either. No. no uh, yeah. Or any so, of any of her films. I don't know much about her previous work, but this does seem to be part of um, the ongoing attempts of Sundance to include at least one film that really messes me up doing it <laughs> um, and makes me feel just really awkward. Yes, Personal. I thought I knew there was an actor in common. Um, so last year, this movie was Zola, 
the incredibly okay. intense movie based on a series of tweets about a uh, sex worker's chaotic and terrifying run-in with various uh, drug dealers and pimps and various other things yeah. when she went on a trip with a stripper friend of hers. And yes, an actor from uh, Taylor Page from Zola, the lead in Zola, does appear in this film as well. So that might be part of the mm. reason I had this panicked reaction. Taylor Page is coming for you. She is. She's a terrifying woman. Um, <laughs> so this is... I, don't, I can't remember if I said the name of the film. It's Sharp Stick. Mm. And this is a film about a young woman played by Christine uh, Froseff who has some there's something has gone on in her past that leads to her having a very different attitude than the people around her she's very positive seems incredibly naive but definitely has these burgeoning interests in things like sex she's 26 year old and yet acts in some ways like a teenager um like a even a preteen and there is a reason for this that we explore later on um but she is caring for a disabled boy in a family and she starts to develop pretty intense feelings for the father of the family, played by John, Bur- John Burnfall, which leads to a very chaotic sexual relationship, um, which ends badly for her, which leads to her wanting to try and fix herself and make sure this doesn't mm-hmm. happen to her again, which she thinks she can do by becoming as sexually experienced as possible. So she okay. creates like a, a to-do list of sexual things that she wants to do. Not um, our first list, not our first list of list. sexual things. This is an A to Z that she does, and you wow. know, I think A is anal, B is bukkake. Oh and, dear, don't, yeah, it's... my my parents listen to this. <laughs> don't say any more. <laughs> don't Google any of that. So <laughs> she does. She gets this because she has become very interested in porn as a result of her short-lived affair. So. Yes, it's a fairly intense and subtly menacing film that really reminded me of the films of Sean Baker. Because Sean Baker makes films about working class life in Florida specifically. He did Tangerine, The Florida Project, and recently Red Rocket, which we discussed before in this podcast. Mm. And everything he's ever done has made me nervous. Like (laughs) It's always just a subtle undercurrent of something is going to go very badly wrong soon (laughs) and zola had the same thing actually and that was you know someone else directing but you know this film has that energy as well something bad is going to happen until until the midway point until we get to this point where we're going through this list at which point the whole thing becomes a bit more madcap and a bit more light-hearted okay so yeah it once it arrives at the premise it becomes sort of hijinks there's really good performances is what i want to highlight christine froseff is very good as sarah joe uh Mm -hmm. The role that they're quite broad performances. Everyone is playing very big, especially Scott Speedman as this kind of lovely himbo uh, porn star <laughs> named Vance Leroy, who's oh, kind of nice. this. He's a porn star, but he's like uh, a popular with women style porn star who has also mm. a lot of sort of odd philosophy thrown in there as well, and a lot of like really nice guy vibes. It's yeah, a very interesting uh, character from him. It's all very funny. And it has very sexually positive messaging eventually. Okay. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, it's it's a little bit unbalanced and it's a little bit unsure of what exactly it's saying, I think. And it's invoking an awful lot of films that are a lot more coherent in their messaging. Um, and some of this does just feel a bit like provocation. So sure. I would say three stars, but it was still definitely a very interesting film. It was. Okay. I, I can see why they've included it in this roster because it is definitely unique and feels like it's coming from a unique perspective that perhaps I'm just not best placed to assess. But nevertheless, speaking as who I am, it was a film that made me uncomfortable and not necessarily in a way that I found productive. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd give it a watch. I mean, hmm. why not? Why not? 
I think so. It's it's certainly interesting. Yeah. It's and yeah, amusing. Eventually. Okay. Yeah. I'll <laughs> it stick eventually gets much funnier. Yeah, exactly. Sit there just tapping my watch and staring at the screen, being like, "When's just, the jokes?" Just tapping your watch. Just tapping my watch. <laughs> Please, ma'am, can you stop? No. No. We've got to go for more slightly unsettling, inappropriate relationship stuff first. In which you might genuinely wonder if our lead character is experiencing some form of disability that maybe requires greater protection Ah. from her environment than she is. But she's not, Mm. I think. It's just the way she's been written. There is also some cliche going on as well, particularly, you know, potentially the way in which Mm. her black sibling is written. Uh, Um, Yeah. yeah. But still, it was a very interesting watch. I won't prioritize it, but if you know. If it's about. Yeah. It's about. It's about. Sharp stick. Sure. Yeah. I'm all up for a sharp stick if it's a bow. Yeah, I've got to be up for a sharp stick. Mm. Right, that concludes day one of my experience of Sundance. Halfway already. Halfway. It's by. But we've only been talking for... Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for how long? Uh, 45 minutes. Okay, we're doing okay. No, that's, that's, a, that's not so about bad. what I figured. Don't yeah, worry, come okay. on. Chop, chop. All right, <clears throat> resurrection. Mm. Horror. Yes. Yeah, come on. <laughs> the long pause may have also... I should remember to do the long pause after I forgot time, that was say. what we were doing. Yeah, you, yeah <laughs> me too. No, I mean, obviously a horror. <laughs> yes, it is definitely a horror. This is a film from Andrew <coughs> Siemens, who I don't think I've seen any of his other work. No, I have not. I think this might be one of his early... Yeah, the only other directorial film he's done is something called Nancy Please from 2012, which I don't nope. recognise. That was before I was a pressman. Mm. So... Before yes, you the, had eyes... It's before I had the eyes to see the cinema. Mm-hmm. It was back when I saw films, but didn't watch films. Yeah. Yeah. You see, but you do not observe. Oh, I did not understand. But what I do understand is Rebecca Hall, because she is in this movie playing a... Now, who is she now? She's not an academic. She's, um... She's... Oh. Does it tell me her profession? No, she is working. She is a professional woman. She is a professional woman. A professional who, woman. A professional I, woman. How does one become a professional woman? I believe I have the skills. <laughs> You've missed the baseline requirement. How? Oh, it's a very. Se- it's actually a very sexist um, administration. It's horribly to, sexist. Yeah, to determine who becomes a professional woman. It's very unfair. You'd think at least this, but no. Nevertheless, yeah. um, she's she's professional. She has a daughter. She loves a great deal. Played by Grace Kaufman. Um, everything seems to be going well for her until she catches sight of a guy played by Tim Roth. He's playing this, playing mm. this guy, David. And suddenly she seems to panic. She seems absolutely terrified and it completely changes her behavior. Interesting. And from that point onwards, she is on a downward spiral because of her past with this guy, um, leading her to ever more intense behavior that is threatening to completely destroy her relationship with her daughter, ruin her career, and possibly just cost her her sanity. So it's a really menacing film about motherhood and about overcoming past trauma. And it's an interesting new facet of motherhood because we've seen it explored through horror films quite a bit because it's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In this case, the terror Scariest is how are your kids going to stay safe? Mm-hmm. how is yeah. that going to happen because you've yeah. got to have this kid and then put them out into the world and there are terrible things like tim roth in it so mm. what are you going to do and it's just about the sheer terror of that and it's something you know i've observed in in people is this fear for their kids and this trouble of letting go and it's very painfully relatable as a result um mm. 
it's a film that is very unsettling, not startling. Like there's not that much in the way of fake out jump scares or anything like that. It's a mm. film that just quietly ticks along with this growing sense of menace. Um, and a really upsetting central element. When you find out what it is that's in, there's one big speech that she gives where she explains her past with Tim Roth. And it is horrible in a way that has the feel of like a Greek myth, in particular, you know, Kronos. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert for anyone who remembers what that is all about. But yeah, there's there's a lot of, there's something really horrible in her past, which has a absurdist, surreal quality that invokes things like the killing of a sacred deer. You know, suddenly okay. reality takes a walk for a minute and you realize, oh God, what is this? And that's when lines of reality start to get blurred. Interesting. Um, yeah, Rebecca Hall, she's really good in the film, but she is a bit at risk of being typecast as just a woman falling apart because she's been taking those roles quite a lot recently. Um, ever since Christine, I think, was the earliest one I remember, which was at the LFF in 2016. Um, yeah, uh, ever since then, she's been really good and she played the, in The Night House last year and was a similar role and okay. that one was about grief. Um, so yeah, she's very good at playing women who are just barely holding on. You know, she's sounds able like to... a fascinating role to play, though, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, it is great. And she can do this thing where it's like suddenly her whole f- head is full of liquid and it's just like you can hear it in her voice and in her nose and her eyes. Like just the wow. whole thing is like wobbling now. and It's just like, oh, God, she's going <laughs> to burst or something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just, you that's know, this real skill. <laughs> she just did this real fragility that's very compelling. Mm. Tim Roth, meanwhile, can just be menacing as hell in this really unique way because he has this really jovial kind of absurd and upbeat kind of horror to him he's an excellent sadist in that respect because he's also such a dad you know just a sort of used to sort of bumbly kind of it's like terrifying (laughs) it's really Mm. weird like oh we don't want to do that do we i think that's owed some sort of uh i think you need to do a kindness now to make up for that and it's just oh god you're horrible and the nature (laughs) of the kindnesses is just really upsetting and yeah, like I say, it has that Greek myth feel to it. It has a, a sense of maybe the things that are happening aren't, you know, are a bit odd or aren't making complete sense, but that's because it's kind of playing into the psychology of the whole thing. Um, and then it comes to this very big, ambiguous, but fairly terrifying end. So, yeah, it's five stars for me. Again, I'm a sucker for Ooh. good horror, and this is a very good horror film with a huge amount oh, of rewatch ability, I think. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Um yeah, and Ooh. sort of further delving into it because, yeah, there's a lot going on and it's all just driven by this really affecting performance from Rebecca Hall in its heart. Wow. And I'm looking forward to never seeing it. Absolutely. At the mm. end of this podcast, I'll tell you what the thing Tim Roth did. And uh, Please yeah. do. Yeah. It sounds absolutely horrifying, this one. I think I'd rather watch the weird <laughs> bird one. Yeah, the uh. bird one was probably an easier get. Although nothing yes. very explicit gets shown in this one, but a lot gets implied, and it's very the, just the whole concept yeah. of yeah. I have a child, and it's terror. I'm terrified what's going to happen. That's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, I don't have I have... children. I'm terrified for my <laughs> fantasy children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's very upsetting to think that yeah. someone else might take control over the thing that's most precious to you. So, yeah, absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Like my Blu-ray collection. <laughs> This piece of cake? No! (laughs) I'd rather die! That slice of cake. I was saving it. I would die for this piece of cake. Mm. Um, Speaking of a piece of cake, we move on to the second film of day two, The Princess. The Princess? Horror? No. This isn't. Well, kind of. This is a documentary about Lady Diana. 
Oh, uh, okay. Princess, well, Princess then, yeah. <laughs> it is kind of a horror story because it is told, this is a movie told entirely through footage. So there's no mm. narration, there's no talking heads, nothing. Oh, it is entirely okay. through newsreel and footage from the time and discussion shows and actual paparazzi footage of her. And it documents everything from early footage of her being interviewed at the onset of her courtship with Charles <sighs> right through to coverage of her funeral. And, um, you know, the insane outpouring of grief that happened outside mm. the gates of Buckingham Palace um, in 1997. So we're covering about, ooh, is it f- 20 years of history? Just about? I think they married in the early 80s, more like 15, I guess, or, you know. I have no about. idea. It's, yeah, it, it's it's very interesting. This is Ed Perkins uh, writing and directing here, this documentary. And this, you know, it's entirely just everybody playing themselves because it is entirely footage. Um. And what is what it focuses on is the suffering of Diana at the hands of Charles, who, you know, ha- was having this sort of got into this loveless marriage with her and then, you know, had this affair with Camilla Parker Bowles. Um, and then also the media, the terrible mm. impact of the media on her. And we have really good sort of contrasting images along the way to sort of highlight various hypocrisies at the beginning of the film we have the wedding and all this lavish you know going on and this weird british obsession with the whole thing and the celebration of the whole thing contrasted against footage of you know various riots that were happening at the time in britain and you know extreme poverty and this weird idea that you know at least british britain had something to be happy about which Mm. was that these incredibly rich people were you know, wedding. getting having a, a very wedding. big expensive party, a that very you paid big for. expensive wedding, and you know, obviously that's very relatable to today. <laughs> you know, mm, this idea yeah. of the, mm-hmm. this weird celebration <laughs> of wealth and privilege, you know, somehow being a break from the realities of the, living in a system that has huge amounts of disinterest towards its working classes. So, you know, so we have those contrasting things, and then later on, right at the end, we have contrasting you know members of the public yelling at the press and saying you know it's you lot that what done this you know because generally the media were held as responsible Mm. for you know the death because they were trying to get away from a photographer is the idea um which is why they crashed or the queen did it (laughs) you know or the the queen did it um so well it's got to be one of the two well it's one of the two so Um, yes so, so there's that there's um a huge outpouring of outrage against the um press cut to just thousands of copies of you know daily mail memorial princess diana papers being bought so it's like yes okay you're furious at the press but you're still buying these papers you know and you can't help but wonder that for all this you know i'll just leave her alone kind of business what if the british public for a week refused to buy a newspaper with her picture on the cover yeah how quickly would they change tactic you know Mm -hmm. if how much would that hit them but that didn't happen no of course not no, because people, you know, had this morbid interest in the whole thing mm. and they wanted to buy the paper and then talk about how outrageous it was. And it invokes a powerful sense of compassion for the for um, Princess Diana because of the way in which she is portrayed, which is either as this very charismatic sort of presence who's able to connect with people in a very authentic and real way. And, you know, is portrayed as being in Harlem, a Harlem hospital, which, mm. you know, the newscaster points out is not a place where any presidents have gone. And yet Lady Diana has gone there in order to like shake hands with AIDS patients, you know, at a time Mm. when everybody was terrified of it and there was huge stigma. She's just right there. And there's footage of her, you know, doing outreach work and working with like kids and hospitals and just making people's day just by being there for them. 
and yet also footage of her cringing and you know shying away from cameras and being just really appalled by this really gross intrusive footage and you can argue ethically we are now looking at this footage that was you know part of this huge horrible thing in her life that did drive her to various mental health issues including bulimia and self-harm um you know, is it cool for us to just be watching it? But it is, it, the footage is making the point that she just had no privacy, you yeah. know, and it was just constantly there. And it successfully conveys why she was so popular, pre- precisely because she was so unpolished, you know, in mm. the ways, you know, you see the rest of the, the royal family who acts so coolly around the press and so, you know, indifferently to cameras. And it does a good job of showing that this is why people liked her, because she was very relatable, even though she was incredibly posh herself. Yeah. Um, yeah, it shows the extent of the intrusion, but also the hostility of the public and of journalists towards her. You know, just various people just really genuinely angry of her for her various actions. <laughs> um, you know, as mild as they may seem and as clear as it seems to be that she was the victim in this situation. But it does also make sure to highlight people who defended her as well. And that's always encouraging. But yeah, a lot of people just felt that she knew what she was doing. You know, she she was working the media and perpetuating this mm-hmm. victim image. And, with, you know, that gets bandied around a lot is this idea that, oh, the victim image. And it's like, if they were no. genuinely a victim, <laughs> how would they convince you? What would it yeah. need to be to convince you that it's not just an image? You know, it's a catch 22. There's no way. Yeah. No, there's no way. The more of a victim they seem, the more they're putting it on. And it's... also it's it's. It's not an, a large, an argument based on logic. It's an yeah. argument people use to make themselves feel better. Yeah, about their assumption, which so, is that women are responsible for their own suffering. Yeah, and is... it's easier if they just say, oh, no, that was, you know, if you just say, oh, it was your own fault somehow. Yes. That alleviates me from feeling guilty about True. either enjoying your suffering, whether I, you know, yeah, or just not by watching it, it or not doing anything about the problem. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that here. So... And yeah, a, a need to sort of exonerate the royal family as well, because, you know, nobody wants to take that on. So mm-hmm. it's a very interesting film and a, one that does sort of, you know, rile you up a little bit. And it's it's interesting for me to see a lot of this stuff, because I think as someone, Diana's death in 1997 is the earliest news story I remember. Same. Yeah, it's the first one I remember because they interrupted The Simpsons to announce it. <laughs> That's why. Um, and it's the earliest story I remember. So I was not alive for the controversy. I was not alive for the... Well, I was not conscious for the, you know, Bashir interview, for the divorce, mm. for, you know, the marriage, you know, all of these things. So I didn't get to experience that. And I think after her death, the narrative shifted very much. The narrative yeah. shifted to she was the people's princess and it's a terrible tragedy that she's dead. You know, and I think a lot of this mistreatment got a little bit waylaid and a lot of this hostility towards her as well as praise. So it's good to see that sort of, you know, memorialized here. Um, Obviously, you compare it to Spencer, which very recently came out. And for one thing, it really does just bring home how good Kristen Stewart was in getting so (laughs) many of her mannerisms. There were so many times when Princess Diana, the actual Princess Diana, would do something and I'd be like, God, she got it spot on. (laughs) (laughs) This Princess Diana is is doing a really good impression of Kristen Stewart. (laughs) It's Um, true. She was excellent. She was really good. And, you know, ultimately, as an experience, I prefer Spencer because I feel like narrative film has a greater ability to get to the emotional truth of Mm. the matter more than a documentary perhaps can um 
you know. It also had quite a nice hopeful end to it. It did. It ended in a hopeful <clears throat> way. Because it was a fantasy which, in a sense. Yeah. And mm. it, well, indeed, the um, the documentary really ruins that because it points out just how awful her life was after mm. she left. Because the scrutiny did not end after she left the royal family. If anything, no. it intensified. And, you know, she had this terrible, strained relationship with the royal family afterwards and, you know, trying to look after her sons and get time with her sons. So, yeah, it, uh, Spencer definitely had, I don't know, a better emotional core for me. And okay. was more a sort of, yeah, and, and more of an interrogation into her as a character. This is definitely about her image and about the nature of the media, which is still very interesting. So, yeah, I think it's it's really engaging, very, yeah, very nice. involving. Interesting. Very sad. Yeah. yeah. I think I've... So did you give the stars? Oh, um, I think mm. I'll give it four. I think okay. four stars for that well, one. It's, yeah, very good. Um, I think I would watch it, um, yeah. although I'm not sure I'm going to run to sure. watch it. I'd rather rewatch Spencer because I love that. Spencer so. is really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. Oh god, it's just so much of it is so relatable though. There were moments where saying, oh, you know, she's claimed to have hurt herself and for have injured herself, but there's no scars in any of the pictures and it's Mm. like, fuck you and your sleuthing, you know, fuck you and your your microscope. Yeah. Believe her, you piece of shit. Absolutely. (laughs) Jeez. Oh god. Anyway, moving on. Mm. We have got Honk for Jesus, save your soul. (gasps) Horror. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> in a sense. So this is a movie about the wife of a uh, evangelist. Um, her mm. name is Trinity Childs. She's played by Regina Hall, and she's mm-hmm. very, very good. This is a dark comedy film where she is trying to work with her husband, whom she has not abandoned. Her husband played by, um, for me, traditionally uh, dramatic actor Stephen K. Brown. Sterling K. Brown, excuse me, who was Sterling in... Um, Sterling K. Brown, who was in Waves as the dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, really intense, high pressure dad, and he's a very good dramatic actor. This film really gets. Across. Oh yes, he's excellent. Yeah, yeah, this film gets that across, but also his comedy chops, which I didn't realize would be quite so strong. But he's mm. very, very funny in this. In a movie that is quite dark, because it's about he basically is accused of some form of sexual scandal. Okay, and he is now trying to come back from it. He's trying to get his church working again, but the community have moved on, a new church has formed, and it's this weird rivalry that they have between them. Um, So, oh, sorry. Mm. (laughs) Old nose. So it's about the suffering of Lady Diana, and I think really the... (laughs) I just think Sterling K. Brown really captured her. Oh, God, he did such a good job. Her mannerisms absolutely (laughs) perfectly. So, yeah, it's about an attempted redemption. Uh, mm-hmm. that is not necessarily welcomed or needed by the community around it. So a lot of the comedy stems from his ego and his self-belief mm. and this bizarre reality of this this odd nature of evangelism, which is not something I think we have an equivalent for in the UK. Um, this weird idea that a holy man can be gauged based on his financial success. Yeah, no, you know, it that, doesn't this idea of a, over here not really this idea of like a mm. pastor who has you know sports cars and a mansion and a swimming pool <laughs> and and this guy he still has all of these things um he's still negotiating payouts to his victims um mm. whilst claiming kind of his innocence but also talking about how he was tempted into it and sort of handing over responsibility to yeah. the devil you know all of these things so 
both Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown, because Regina Hall's getting all this flack for staying with him. You know, how could mm. you stay with him? How could you do this? And, you know, we're left to wonder what is in it for her. So they're both giving very dramatic and but very funny roles. Um, and it very earnestly considers these people and doesn't shy away from their hypocrisy, but also their benefit to their community. Like it does, it does go out to say, look, Interesting. these people do help the people that they work with. Yes, okay. they're exploiting them in some way. They're, you know, they're gaining all of this wealth and they're not, they're clearly not sharing it as well as they should amongst the community, but they are taking an interest. And also, you know, they're taking interest and they're giving people hope and people do, you know, seem to benefit from these um, services. And yet also, like, it doesn't shy away from the fact that before Sterling K. Brown, you know, was preaching against the homosexual agenda, for example, mm. which is revealed to be a you know massive act of hypocrisy on his side. Mm. So, yeah, it's it compares quite well to Tammy Faye, I think, which was telling a very conventional narrative. Um, this movie is a bit more complicated than that, and I think it's funnier than that movie and a bit more clear in what it's trying to express. Um, cool. I, I will say the documentary elements are a bit weird again. Once again, <laughs> it's a talking to camera piece. It's a this time much more overt though. This time we actually have a documentary who are obviously documenting this guy's attempted return to power, sure. or to fame, to glory, um, and you know it's going to explore how that goes. Um, and so, yes, it's a bit more natural, but it's still really unclear which bits are part of the d film they're making and which bits are part of the film we're watching because they'll cut yeah. away from them. And to make things more confusing, every so often it will go into a different aspect ratio, but that is not indicating what is or is not being picked up by the documentary crew. Okay. So it just does it to like emphasize dramatic moments. So it, once again, it's it's just a little odd. Like, why have you done this yeah. there must be other ways to get insight into your characters this feels a bit lazy um nevertheless this is a very very funny film and a very you know over the top film and it's just driven by these two incredible performances from regina hall and sterling k brown so i think it's worth seeing just for that reason um Ooh. however i will only give it the three stars just because it doesn't compare right. as well to um some of the other stuff fair enough okay yeah. um yeah sounds interesting it was, yeah. It was good. It was a very good black comedy. Um, black comedy in the sense of being fairly dark. Dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 In the sense of, yeah, having some very uncomfortable subject matter in there. But it played well to the crowd. There was a lot of laughter going on. And that okay, was a crowd of cool. film critics. Well, and we all know they have no souls. <laughs> yeah. On film eight <laughs> of their yeah. two days. So they were a bit delirious. <laughs> they stopped feeding us, you know, oh. low on air. <laughs> they sealed like, hermetically sealed you in yeah. did they look this might not have been a comedy i don't know i don't know anything <laughs> don't, anymore. something happened <laughs> i just i've got the title and i've got the actors i, I saw something <laughs> for an hour and a half i'm not sure what happened <laughs> well indeed um uh, which brings us on to the film that did nearly break me um, oh no not because it's bad um let's talk about we met in virtual reality this, okay. this is a very affecting story about people who meet in VR chat, I think it's called, which yep, is VR chat, VR chat, which is this um, online space where um, you wear like full body VR stuff in order to completely take control of your avatar in a VR space. Mm. Jen, do you know if Sarah uses this? Sarah Keep? Yeah. Uh, no, as far as I'm aware, she doesn't have no. VR. Okay, just a at the beginning of the movie there was someone in it who sounds exactly like sarah <laughs> it was eerie 
Like, uh, I, I think you can join VR from like VR chat <laughs> from a computer, maybe. Like, only, I don't think you have to actually have VR to be in VR chat. I might like ask chat, but the only line I heard was um, it was some sort of weird thing where people are pitching like programs they're going to do or like something. And all I heard was just the lines, the knives are throwable. And it just sounded so much like Sarah. It was. I'm gonna bet not. I'm probably She's, not. If it is, it's her secret it's second her secret, or third life. Secret life. She does have a lot. Of secret, lives. secret, extra life. Um, <laughs> no, the only people I know who have VR are me, mm. and then a chain of friends who <laughs> and, and their family members who've all like spun off <laughs> from me. Right. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> it probably wasn't her. It just sounded a lot like her, and it was nah. just kind of eerie. Considering everyone else in the movie is American, and then just yeah. Sarah's exact voice. Just... <laughs> Um, no offense if I say this might come down to your white person blindness. <gasps> there is that. Mm. No, but that's, like just, an... <laughs> that's only effective for buff white men. Oh, okay. I thought it was a, it was a, okay, white right. person blindness. No. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And it's their faces I can't tell apart. <laughs> right. Not their voices. Not necessarily okay. their voices. Sco- Scoot McNary I take that back then. and Joel McKinnon have very distinct uh, voices, I bet. I don't know. I don't even very confident those are two different men I just named. So... <laughs> We met in virtual reality. Okay. This this is a, a film about about communities going online, and the entire film is in this online space, is in VR chat. None of it is wow. you know, set in the outside okay. world. So we're entirely in this world, and it's about these communities finding space and new ways of communicating with each other. Um, it's full of these really valuable stories in terms of what they gained from the system and what how what it means to them. There's really interesting uses of this space and the new technology. Um, they find someone who's delivering an American Sign Language course through the VR space. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, and someone else who's doing belly dancing um, mm-hmm. lessons um, to people through VR. You know, and this it's all filmed over the first lockdown. So this is all people being able to use this technology to sort of really get out and experience other things. And there was a focus on mental health and benefits to well-being of escape and being able to connect much more deeply with people without hang-ups about appearance or aesthetic issues sure. um which is very positive and a really good thing the only issue i had is that the uh, so have you used vr chat uh no i've i don't think i've ever actually used the mm. vr chat app but i've been in other i've played on mm. rec room Right. Um, which has that kind of like, you know, social space thing where you can just be in a server with a bunch of other people and you're yeah. just little avatars. Um, but I don't have, you know, the full, I just have the headset. Okay. Um, I don't have full body kit stuff. Right. So that's a whole separate, that, that costs a fortune, I think. Yeah, this is um, all full body kits. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, but no, I've never been in to vr chat mostly mm. because even in rec room i was there to hang out with specific people <laughs> and i know i've yeah. never really used it as a place to go meet strangers no or well you know needs just must, to some extent yeah some of this. exactly but um nevertheless yes it was still offered real advantages to, for the people who were you know too shy mm. potentially and it focuses in on couples eventually of um you know couples who actually met and then became involved oh interesting through vr space and it's great here's the issue the aesthetic of this is mm. very similar to Second Life for anyone who's played that. You mm-hmm. know, it's very eclectic. Characters are very weird. You've got one character who's like a wolf person and another who's, you know, like a an anime figure and another person who's like a, a little figure. Like, um, who was it who's in there? There's um, 
oh, some rosy cheek guy. Like some cartoon, there's a Kermit in there, for example. Uh-huh. So it's very eclectic and random and, you know, brightly colored. And because mm. this video game needs to work on as many different systems as possible, like, you know, EverQuest used to in the day, it's mm. quite low resolution so that yeah. the system stats aren't going to be very high. And VR is in general because the headsets yeah. are just, they oh, can't, yeah. <laughs> they yeah, can't run like things. a computer. So all VR games are not that high res compared to yeah. what you can get on a PC now. Yeah, and you've got this kind of, um, you know, this eclectic lo-fi look and there's mm. no clipping. You know, things move through other things. Characters walk <laughs> through each other. If yeah. a character goes to touch something, it goes straight through because obviously the person mm-hmm. can't have haptic, you know, feedback, something to actually stop their hand from moving because they've touched something. So mm. the graphics require them to be able to be flexible with that. The result was I started to feel a bit claustrophobic and a little bit, like, <laughs> sick. Um, yeah. And yes, you can imagine. put this down to the idea that I'd been in a cinema for most of the previous two days. <laughs> um, but also just something about those graphics made me want to step outside of it after a while. And this is an hour and 30 minute movie. And That's I just long. found being in the space for that long and not being able to control, for the most part, the camera mm. movement is very smooth. But when you're in a space that's giving you a slight headache and you don't have control over the camera, it can make it worse, the sense of nausea. Um, I started to miss solid reality. And there were times when I did look away from the screen and just like look at my leg just to be like, that's solid. I can yeah. ground myself. Like, like a guy getting seasick, you know, just like <laughs> step, putting his head between his legs. Like I, I found myself doing that a bit, which is I have to acknowledge might be entirely uh, specific to me and or might be generational. You know, there are people I, who grew up in these yeah, spaces. Maybe. I don't know if VR is universal enough mm. or if there's anything quite as comparable. Putting on a headset for the first time, you're going to feel sick. I did, yeah. And it depends. Yeah. And it depends when on how... When I played how, Resident Evil. Yeah. I got so depends dizzy. On, it's... Look, some people are better than others. I was okay. I was all right. Mm. I have friends who straight up had to train themselves to get used to their headsets yeah. because they could, you know, and they ha- there's different travel modes. So, so you know, the easier one to handle is actually teleporting, you know, from space to space. Right. Or, you know, when you get used to it, you can just move through with a joystick freely yeah. through the world. So you feel like your yeah, body I was is, straight into you know, that. yeah, your brain is getting signals that it is just flying through the world. Yeah. But your body is not feeling that. And yeah. all of this is very, it takes a lot of getting used yeah. to. Well, and with... that's a lot. <laughs> and it is. you're still, you're able to control it, take the headset off. You can feel the controls in your hand. You can feel your feet on, you know. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine watching a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was because it's not first person is interesting. It's, it's a sort of okay. gliding camera and they do still manage mm. to make it really cinematic with really affecting compositions and fake camera effects, like a depth mm. of field adjuster that makes it feel more than you're just watching, like, you know, a screen record of this thing. You do feel like you're inhabiting these spaces, which is pretty cool. But yeah, just something to do with the graphics, the effects of it. It just, it just, it, I did find it a little off-putting visually. Um, that, and the only other thing is, the film is not interested in exploring the negative aspects. You know, there's enough yeah. out there about that. There's enough out there about horrible things that happen online, bullying, mm. grooming. And on the VR chat in, in particular. Really? <laughs> apparently, oh, it's, apparently it can be a bit of, you hear some, you know, every so often I'll see an article that yeah. the title is, you know, I went on VR chat and within five minutes I'd heard blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've never experienced yeah. it personally. Which so. is fair, and fair enough. They want to focus on the positive side because this is, after all, a very neglected group. So you want to focus mm. on the positive stories there, and that's great. 
um, yeah, that you worry because you've got this and you're thinking, oh God, is there going to be some catfishing or mm. anything like that? But no, it's a, a very positive portrayal to the point that it does almost come across as like a, a bit of marketing for VR chat. <laughs> um, and as a result, it does start to drag as it repeats mm. itself. Because yes, we get the idea that this is a safe space, there's good communities here, and that you can establish long-lasting relationships. Once you've heard three or four people recount their experience of that, it yeah. does start to get a little repetitive. Um, but still, I feel like a total Grinch for this, because ultimately this is a very positive stuff, and it's really sweet that this new frontier of human interaction is being explored in such a positive way. It just didn't feel like a very thorough way. Yeah, yeah. That's it's it's interesting. It's an interesting topic to me as someone who has enjoyed mm. VR for a couple of years already. Yeah. Um I love it. I think it's a lot of fun. I mm. think the potential for it what you can do with it yes. is a lot of fun. Yeah, that really um, got covered. Like the yeah, various classes they were doing were really Very cool. Yeah. And all of these options. I'm also all for people making friends on the internet yeah. and finding their people on there. Yeah. But I think the more interesting question with all of these particularly when technology starts to move faster than most people understand it, is to look at whether, you know, you look at cost benefit, look at positives and negatives and think, yes, you've got this great advantage, but is it worth it overall? Because of course there are negatives. And, you know, there's a lot of kids out there with VR headsets. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You've got bought one and it's a whole other world that you're like with anything like on the internet. So, yeah. um, And it's not clear how old all these people are as well, because American accents for me, yeah. I just can't tell, you know, someone is talking in a fairly high pitched American voice and I don't know. And you can put voice mods on. Oh God. Yeah. They're built into a lot, you know, I'm sure you could add them, but a lot of the things already have them built in. Um, Yeah. So it's like with anything, I think that's the more interesting um, Mm. topic, but I am still genuinely interested to see what people have been doing, creating communities through VR because it's, it's cool. It's very cool. (laughs) It really is, and it's very interesting, and it's actually lovely to see virtual spaces portrayed positively on screen for yeah. once, because that actually doesn't happen very often. So, no. yeah, I, I'm going to give it... Th- oh, God, I'm torn. It's three or four. Mm. I'll give it three. Um, because it made you feel a bit sick. Because that's it fair. made me feel a bit sick. When a film makes <laughs> yeah. me nauseous, I have to acknowledge that. Yeah, that's um, fair. But I have to also acknowledge it's not the film's fault, I don't think, mm. that I felt sick. I don't think that this movie would have been improved by being in the real world as well. Um, I think it's very good that it, you know, was where it was. Maybe it could have been a shorter film. Maybe it could have been a short film. Mm. You know, yeah. like an hour Fair. or so. But nevertheless, I, I did enjoy and I do like that it that has been made and that we're making movies that are more willing to engage with this on its own terms because far mm. too often these kinds of spaces and interactions are written by people who don't actually know about them and are just theorizing. Yeah. Cool. You know? interesting yeah yeah i'd like to watch this yeah as absolutely someone, you know, highly recommend i find it interesting yeah but maybe that maybe i'll fast rec- forward through a bit, few bits <laughs> randomly though just to speed it up <laughs> maybe the fact i would highly recommend it does move it up a bit because although it's one of those films i think i'm happy i've seen it i'm not sure i want to see it again mm. i think there are a few like that i'll stick it at three okay that's fair that's fair right next up watcher watcher horror watcher. yep yeah <laughs> definitely horror um yeah. yeah this is the last horror film of the bunch this is chloe okunu mm-hmm. uh let me just check her other roles oh she did a segment on a horror anthology thing called vhs 94 
Um, mm. Otherwise, this is her first feature, I think. Is which this is... the Romanian one? Yes. This is... Um, so we've got Micah Monroe, who uh, mm-hmm. horror fans might know from It Follows. Mm-hmm. She was the lead there. Uh, she's a young woman who has moved with her boyfriend, who is, I guess, Carl Glisman. Yep. Um, she has moved with him back to his home country of Romania in order to start a new life there. They have a lovely big flat. He has a job. She does not. She's going to busy herself spending her days learning Romanian and exploring um, Bucharest. So, cool. Yeah, good stuff. There is an issue. Mm. Across the way in the <laughs> apartment I'm already, block, You just said across the way and I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> this has got such a good central premise. Across the way, there is another apartment block and in one of the windows, there is the outline of somebody watching her. Okay. And it seems to always be there. And she just constantly, she looks out the window, sees this window, and there is just somebody there constantly. Um, and she starts to believe that she is being followed and watched. Um, and also, it turns out there is a serial killer lurking around the place. Who oh, wonderful. enjoys going around cutting off women's heads. Oh, Paul, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very menacing. It's not supernatural. This is like a thriller. It's mm. a you know a thriller movie about this menacing figure in her life, um, and it's very effective. It's in a familiar mold. It feels like one of these old seventies Giallo films, uh, these Italian horror movies where there's a serial killer on the loose. But it's not. There's very little gore. There's no you know in, until like the okay. final act. There's not really any killing going on. It's more about building up. This uncomfortable sense of being followed, which is something that Micah Monroe knows about. <laughs> she might be being typecast as someone who gets followed. Someone who gets followed. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I'm just really f- good at walking ahead of people. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're following someone, you should have to walk ahead of them. Mm, oh, deep insight. A of, yeah, a bit of uh, following mm. advice out there for all our <laughs> listeners. <Yeah. laughs> I didn't know that because it got brought up in an episode of Warwicka. And um, oh yeah, yeah. If whoever that actor is says it, who was that actor? Not Rachel Vice. Might have been Rachel Vice. Anyway, mm. um, wasn't Rachel Vice? Who the fuck? Oh, I, I can't remember. Anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so the intimidating aspect of this film is the unfamiliarity. It was Helena Bonham Carter. It's the unfamiliar oh, excellent, environment. Excellent. <laughs> it's the unfamiliarity of her environment. She's in Romania, she doesn't speak the language. She, her boyfriend is translating for her, but there's something up. He's not doing it properly. He's mm. leaving things out. There's jokes that she's not in on. Um, yeah. And it ultimately becomes a story about gaslighting. It's about okay. everybody telling her that she's being hysterical, that there's nothing to worry about when she perceives this threat. Mm. Now, obviously in a horror movie, this is fairly familiar territory. You know, our main character knows that something's going on. Nobody believes her. But you know, the, the Romanian aspect of it, the idea that she's in this foreign land and that nobody is willing to help her or take her seriously, it really adds to the helplessness of her, um, which makes it much more anxiety-inducing. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's firmly within the sort of gaslighting women tradition of horror. And, oh, wonderful. Yeah, and it sets up elements really well with a really good sort of building atmosphere. It'll just establish little things like here's where there is a gun. Here's where, you know, this mm. person can run if they need to. And like just setting up little plot points that are going to become important later on. Um, so, yeah, Micah uh, Monroe is really good. 
she's really good in the lead role as this person who is unraveling a little bit, but also is very determined to try and take control of the situation. Um, and then you also have Bern Gorman, who's well known to anyone who likes the films of mm. Guillermo del Toro. Um, mm. Most memorably in Pacific Rim, he was one of the two wacky uh, comic relief doctors. Um, he was also in The Dark Knight Rises. He's got a very distinctive, familiar face. What was his name? Burn? Burn Gorman. You'll recognize burn his like... face. Burn like Burn. Oh, yep. that guy. Yep, that guy. Um, oh, he's in stuff. He's in, he's in stuff. Lots of... Torchwood. That's the first thing I think ah. I saw him in. Oh, brilliant. Well, he, yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff, and he is in the film as the menacing figure. And it's interesting because once that gets revealed, I like Burn Gorman. So once that's revealed, mm. I stop feeling scared and I'm just like, I want to see Burn Gorman. Go, go oh, see. yeah. But he is giving a very good menacing performance and he's very good as this kind of um, possibly, like, possibly sinister figure because you don't quite know what's fully going on with him or with the whole situation. So it's, yeah, a really well-made film that's absolutely full of malice in this really weird kind of way. And I really enjoyed it. So... I'm going to give it four stars Ooh. because I have seen this kind of thing before and it's not maybe breaking very new ground, but you have to recognize it as being a very effective example of what it is. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds terrifying. I don't like <laughs> it at all. Fair enough. Do not want to watch that. Least cool. favorite of the three horrors. <laughs> Far too really? realistic. Interesting. I would rather... I mean, That's, look, yeah. I'm the kind of person who's like, I don't believe in ghosts, yeah. but I'm terrified yeah. of them. Yeah, me too. Uh, I don't believe in them, but I am terrified of them. Yeah. Uh, but by far the more scary thing is other human beings. Yes, true. So, like, I can be like, mm, look, look, if something comes out look. the mirror and eats me, at least yeah. I'd be like, huh. Never could have seen that coming. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's another human being, that's far too possible. Yeah. <laughs> I this, don't like it. All of this so, is thoroughly uh, within the realms of plausibility, especially with Burn Gorman out there, no. untethered, you know. No, Chicken Monster is starting to sound great at this, but Chicken <laughs> Bird Monster. Oh, the Chicken Monster movie. Yeah. The Chicken Monster movie is starting to sound chicken fantastic. Chicken Monster the movie, as it was called. Chicken Monster the movie. <laughs> Little Chicken Monster the movie. <laughs> oh my God, Jen, we're on to our last one. <gasps> I know. This is the movie I watched two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> this is a love song, is the name of the film. Oh, is it nice? Uh, Please say it's nice. <laughs> it's nice. It's really... Yeah. Nice is the perfect word for this. Mm. So this is uh, Dale Dickey. Um, again, Google her. You'll know her face Dale immediately. Dickey. Dale Dickey is her name. And she has been basically the old, sometimes menacing, sometimes kind of grumpy lady in so oh, much yes. stuff. Yeah, you know her immediately. She's... She's, was she in no keep going keep going she's a character actor she's been in so much stuff i know her best for winter's burn leave no trace ah yes yep she was a, yes. like sorry yeah she's in leave no tracer yeah that's what i recognize that's right her. she's the nice lady yeah mm. oh she's really great she's always she's always been really good in things and it's fantastic to see her take a lead role here um opposite well we'll come to him so she is living temporarily it seems in a sort of trailer um mm -hmm. out by a lake in a in a sort of trailer park um she's hitched up there and she's waiting for someone an old friend um and she has recently lost well a few years ago she has lost nothing is very urgent in this movie it's a very mm. laid back kind of movie that is reminiscent of the sort of great western genre of movies it has the sort of texan humor to it this very yeah. it's in the colorado mountains actually but it has this very rural american sense of 
a slow pace to life. Mm-hmm. Um, the male guy comes around once a day with his horse-drawn wagon, you know, that's yeah. full of mail. Um, and he just delivers it to the various campsites. Uh, she has two neighbors who are... It's two women and they're a couple and they're think one of them is thinking of proposing but is struggling to do so. Yeah. And then in a really the, the most overtly comedic aspect of it is that there is a little girl who is a cowboy and she has four mm. ranch hands who are four grown men. And they all follow <laughs> the orders silently of this little girl and it's great. That's nice. It's yeah. very funny. Um but yeah, eventually this old friend of hers shows up and there's a bit of a, a romance there and the old friend is mm. played by Wes Studi. Now, Wes Studi is a great actor who played every Native American in the 90s. Honestly. Oh, wow. Like, and also every non-Native American, because he was, of course, in Street Fighter as the uh, Thai character. Oh, but, yes. Yeah, okay. he's, he's been in so much. And again, it's just wonderful to see him take a unconventional role here. Like, it's not just his usual kind of bad guys or tough native like in dances yeah he's not playing ethnic man yeah exactly he's just playing a guy and it's great and Mm. he's so good he's so charming um and works so well with dale dickey who is also just incredibly likable and really um believable in this role and it's just about these two old souls who have a lot of history together they've known each other forever and you know have all of this between them all of this history and fondness and affection and they're both very old at this stage and they're just carrying feelings that still feel new um Mm. and it's just going to explore their relationship um yeah and it's oh god that's still watcher (laughs) no (laughs) it's really menacing and just really horrible (laughs) this love between two adults (laughs) over the age of 30 how dare they? <laughs> yeah, it's just this melancholy little song in rural America in a fine old tradition um, about men who are, you know, too hurt to stay and women too tough to give up on anything. And it's about this intelligent... Uh, Dale Dickey plays this intelligent, sensitive woman who still finds ways to keep her mind active and her body active as well. You know, mm. she has two books, one for the day, one for the night. And the <laughs> day book is a book of uh, birds so that she can mm-hmm. recognize the bird song around her and the other is uh, the night book is a book of constellations so she goes out and looks nice. at the stars and learns the constellations um you know and it's just this wonderful story of a strong woman in be- a beautiful landscape you know a sequence where she climbs up this mountain near the end in order in a moment of sort of self determination and realization mm. and yeah i just really loved it it was just incredibly lovely it was really beautifully paced there was the only sense of drama in it was from the way in which these two people sort of relate to each other but there were no you know big screaming moments it's just a really charming nice film Mm. and yeah yeah it sounds sounds very lovely is this the one that you aspire to be yes i would love to have Mm. the uh the lifestyle of of this lady because it's just so laid back and just so yeah. going at her own pace, you know, and just this idea of it's that old Western idea. Whenever you read the novels of like Cormac McCarthy, so long as it's not a moment that has extreme horrible violence, <laughs> there'll be a moment where a character says to another, well, I'll catch you later on. And you get the impression that what they mean is at some point in the next 50 years, I'll probably ride <laughs> by you whilst you're out as well. And we can reconnect then, which will consist yeah. of us having a few terse words and then we'll go on again. And it's just... Yeah this wonderful sense of that laid back pace you know no one's getting a diary mm. out to figure out when they can meet it's just mm. oh see you around 
hey, come over for coffee. Yeah. I'll be around. I'll be around. I'm usually here. Nobody's mm-hmm. going anywhere, so you'll just find them where you find them. And yeah, yeah it just speaks of really laid back life, which I could get behind and really find extremely charming as I spend 24 hours in a cinema. <laughs> Well, you're really taking steps towards achieving this lifestyle of your dreams. I sure am. You know what? It did occur to me during all of this. I suddenly thought to myself, what if I just gave LFF press accreditation a miss this year? And the Mm. thought came with a surprising amount of relief. Yeah. Like the idea of just having those four weeks back Mm. was actually not a bad feeling. I absolutely adore film festivals and the london film festival is my favorite one yeah but maybe every considering last year i got shingles <laughs> during it yeah yeah from the stress of it maybe i could do with because i don't think i have enough willpower to do it in moderation mm. i have too much fun Fair. i have Fair. too much every moment i'm I not at that. the festival i feel like i'm missing the most important one mm. you know because still to this day if you do the london film festival properly you're set for the year there were movies coming out. It's true. When you and I next to a Jen and the film critic, two of the movies were at LFF 20, 2021. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's it's frustrating, but <laughs> it is very addictive. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd like to, this is the first year we've had Jen and the film critic going. So I would love to, you know, do that whilst, yeah, that's fair. whilst doing it. But and maybe doing reviews like this would be less stressful. Um, maybe. Worth thinking about. But yeah. It's a lot to ask, the film festival press life. It is. It's a heck of a lot. And Mm. like with anything, um, if you're not enjoying it, don't do it. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing, though. It doesn't matter. If this, you know, don't push it. If if it doesn't speak to you this year, it's fine. Yeah, sometimes you like the stuff you you don't like, though. And that's what Sharp Mm. Stick was all about. (laughs) And Hatchling. So with that, which, which of the movies would do you think would sound most intriguing because this festival starts tomorrow thursday the oh 10th i think and uh yeah it goes on over the Ooh. weekend now i know that you and i can't see any of these because we've got a crazy week weekend ahead <laughs> yeah we but do which ones do you think uh, would you most like to hey suggest? you just hold out for rain and then cancelling <laughs> all my saturday plans excellent uh, <laughs> i really like the sound of that last one i can't yep. remember the names of any oh, of these a love story love story a love song a love song Mm. yes because she uh, has a radio with her and she always says that you know if you just turn the dial and turn on the radio to whatever's on the song will be what you need to hear no matter what it is mm. and it keeps happening to her and it's ugh. the lyrics are always appropriate to what's going cool. on with her it's really sweet oh yeah i'd really like the sound of that one okay so that one um, hatchling um mm-hmm. <laughs> i did say that <laughs> what was the first one again that sounded good the one brian with the and charles yeah yeah that sounded very funny yeah that's very good um oh geez. um good luck to you uh leo grande yes that sounded excellent yeah. yes you're gonna love that um what else do i review <laughs> it's been a long couple of days mm-hmm. uh that was a maybe documentaries sounded interesting yeah a couple um, oh, I, fire of love if you're gonna watch one of the documentaries that one, yeah. i think fire of love is the one to watch i agree that would be the one that most yeah. appealed so yeah i think out of that um yeah. i'd say yeah those. those ones that i just listed <laughs> yeah that's fine it's very late <laughs> no you know the one. names of them what was it uh, a love song a love song brian and charles um good luck to you leo grande fire of love and 
Yeah, I think that I'd say that would be the top four that I would be interested in seeing. I think. Yeah. Those are the ones I think I would most recommend to everyone. But get involved at Sundance London if you can. It's a really, Mm -hmm. really good festival. Sounds great. Yeah. I'm really yeah. It's so nice to have a highlight reel, you know, because Mm. LFF is amazing, but they have three hundred movies, you know, at at these things. Yeah. This is fifteen. Yeah, one of which is a surprise film, so that's why I can't. They don't. They don't uh, press screen the surprise film. It tends to ruin the <laughs> no. uh, the point. I don't know what the, the other two are, but um, yeah, just get involved in the fest mm. because it's, you're gonna have you're gonna have a good time there. I've heard that one of the other two is Paddington Two. Oh wow! They're just showing that again. They're just showing it. That's again, a good yeah. film. <laughs> it's a very good film. <laughs> so yeah, how can people find out about regular Jen and the Film Critic? Uh, on I don't know. Uh, oh shit <laughs> how can they oh no i know i remember okay <laughs> i think uh we're on uh social all on on social media at um screen mayhem for this mm. is a screen mayhem podcast sure is um um yes yeah now of course you're gonna have to come and edit this little moment out i won't i actually can't <laughs> that's great this is excellent uh you can also email us we do have an email address at filmcriticpodcast at gmail.com and um i guess you could also get in touch with us individually on twitter if you really wanted to i'm at jen blundell and you're at paul salt i am something yeah at paul salt at paul two salt. or something like that just paul salt two. there's not many of us paul just salt ignore stick a number on the end ignore the the radio guy um the yeah. bbc merseyside guy and you'll get me yeah. yeah um i think that's about it um, i think that's about it thank you for listening yeah. and please yeah. engage with london sundance yeah do it i can't so you should exactly do it for us Mm. and for film i'm your pool critic and i'm my name's jen (laughs) (laughs) bye bye